0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hi, Cardinal
2: fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Corks and to right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's
0: your host, Brent McMillan. Hello and welcome to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McMillan. We have a fun one today excerpts from a conversation with president of the St. Louis Cardinals, Bill DeWitt III. We originally sat down with Mr. DeWitt as part of a TV story that we were doing about the origins of the franchise as we celebrate 125 years of Cardinal baseball. Part of the nature of TV is brevity. But here on the podcast, we thought you might enjoy some of the other quotes and conversation points that came out of our interview with Mr. DeWitt. There was 15 minutes of really good stuff, and I'm glad that you can enjoy it here on the podcast. We sat down with him in his father's office, Bill DeWitt Jr. It overlooks the outfield here at Bush Stadium. Deep, rich leather furniture and beautiful photographs on the walls, paintings actually, of early baseball in America. If Cardinal Baseball had an Oval Office, this spot would be it. And it's where we sat down with Bill DeWitt III to talk about the franchise that he runs on a day-to-day basis, a franchise that hasn't always been called the Cardinals. At one point, they were the Perfectos, and for a good chunk of time, at the very beginning, they were the St. Louis Brown Stockings, or Browns. But in 1900, they became the Cardinals, and they became the Cardinals not for the bird but for the color of their uniform. So one of the first things we asked him is, why the Cardinals?
1: It probably wasn't the way we say it today in the sense of the Cardinals are playing tomorrow. It was kind of like um, the National League Cardinals because um, that was the color of their socks. And there was not much else on the uniforms. You know, we have the new book out that kind of goes all the way back in terms of showing how the uniform evolved. But back then it was pretty simple. So it was really just a, a color demarcation. And uh, I don't know why they moved away from perfectos. It's kind of a cute name if you ask me. But uh, then in the 20s, of course, the Cardinal became an actual bird on the jersey. A famous story of uh, Branch, Rickey seeing, Branch Rickey seeing a table decoration at a Ferguson uh, baseball dinner and saying, you know, why don't we look at something where that would be the design on the jersey
0: Starting in 1882, as I said earlier, they were playing as the St. Louis Browns. And there was even some winning, four American Association championships, in fact. And they would then meet the winner of the National League in the World Championship Series, the precursor to what we would call the Modern World Series, which began in 1903. Well, for four straight years, the St. Louis Browns won the American Association, 1885, 86, 87, and 88. And in 1886, they actually won that World Championship Series as well against a team named the Chicago White Stockings, who would later become the Chicago Cubs. To celebrate, people here in St. Louis had a beautiful artifact made up to give to members of that St. Louis Brown squad, and we asked Mr. DeWitt to tell us about one of those items, which the Cardinal Hall of Fame and Museum has recently gotten control of.
1: Those winning teams in, from 1882 to 1892 uh, were really colorful, a lot of characters, and uh, we also know that there's some some trophy evidence of, of their achievements. And, and one of the things that we've been kind of tracking over the years is this wonderful pin that the players were given, and it, you know it, it hangs and it's um, very detailed, you know really classic kind of old world uh, craftsmanship, and. We weren't sure if we'd ever get a chance to to display it in our museum, which we'd like to, which we always wanted to do. Uh, but one recently came up for at auction in a sports memorabilia auction, and we were the highest bidder. So um, my father led the charge on that, along with Brian Finch, who works in our museum, as you know. And um, they were very aggressive, let's just say, in in making sure um, the the Cardinals fans are able to see that now forever in our museum.
0: Those teams that were winning American Association titles in some ways reflected their leader, the owner of the St. Louis Browns, Chris Vondera. He was a tavern owner, by some accounts really wasn't even much of a baseball fan, but he saw a lot of potential in another American pastime, not just baseball, but making money. He noticed that when folks would come from the ballpark down to his tavern just up the block, they would buy a lot of beer on game day, and so he thought he would get in on some of that profit. And he bought the team, sold beer. Some say he even was the first to sell hot dogs, the first to play on Sundays, which wasn't done in the 1800s. He really was a visionary. He had special promotional days, gave away souvenirs. And he was a little bit of an odd guy too, eccentric. Eventually he ended up managing the team before he had to give it up. We got to ask Bill DeWitt III, the man who currently is the president of this team, about the very first man to ever run this ball club.
1: Well, Vondra is really one of those um, iconic figures in early, uh, the early formation of Major League Baseball. You know, he's credited with a number of innovative marketing and other um, sort of promotional strategies to get people to come to the game. Um, he, he was an immigrant who um, kind of shook up the status quo at the time, and so there are a lot of stories about him. Um, just kind of doing it a different way, but also, you know, having a passion for St. Louis, his, his adopted hometown and, and for kind of, you know, thinking of baseball as more than just a sport, but rather a vehicle to sell the beer that he sold and, uh, to promote other uh, aspects of his, what he was always doing. It sounded like he always had something going on. So, um, you know, there've been, uh, some initiatives to try to get him into the Cooperstown Hall of Fame and, um so it's um it's fun i think to to look back at that history and and try to piece together what it must have been like in St Louis at that time because I'm sure it looked a lot different and um and it felt a lot different but the baseball was baseball and it still is and that's what you know obviously some of it was it probably felt a little different in terms of how it was played but it's still three strikes, and and, uh, and you're out. And I think that's what's really fun about going back and thinking about that era because while so much has changed, some of the fundamental aspects of it uh, really have, have held up to today.
0: Vondraa did eventually see things go bad. He had other ball clubs suing him. His wife was divorcing him. He had just a, a whole bunch of issues on and off the field, and so he had to give up ownership of the team After the 1898 season, but he did, as we said earlier, guide the franchise into the National League, which would turn into a defining moment. There were championships won before joining the NL in 1892, but we don't recognize them. If you come to Bush Stadium, you'll just see 11 flags up above the scoreboard where we recognize the world champions. We asked Bill DeWitt III to expand on that. Why not celebrate? those other championships from the 1880s because there certainly is some great history there and he had a very interesting answer
1: well it's kind of the um age-old debate and it probably will never end definitively did the cardinals start in 1882 or did they start in 1892 um those who argue it should start in 1882 will say that uh first of all they won championships you know four straight and um Uh, a number of pennants, if you want to call it that, uh, between the American Association, which is the league they were in, and the National League. Um, But what happened is in 1892, um, that team moved into the National League and became a member with some other classic National League clubs that have survived to today, the Cubs, the Phillies, the Reds, um, uh, Pirates, I think. So, um, you know, because modern... MLB recognizes things like World Series and pennants and stuff going back to that date. Um, it, it would be a little awkward to go put a couple more pennants up there and a couple more world championships and say that they were, you know, 1886, for example. Well, what did you win? Did you really win the World Series or a you know, exhibition match between American Association and National League, and maybe didn't have the formality? So um, I, I think both sides of that argument are valid. But um, we've kind of stuck with 1892, first year in the National League, as a way of um, just putting a line in the sands, you know, in terms of official record keeping.
0: So the Cardinals are the Cardinals here now in the early 1900s. And the Browns name is gone, but people often ask and makes sense that they would. Well, didn't the Browns move to Baltimore in the 1950s? The answer to that is yes, just not the Browns that most of us think of. The original Browns became the Cardinals, as we've gone over. But the other Browns were, in fact, in the American League. A group of businessmen got together. They saw how well the National League was doing in the early part of the 20th century. They thought that they could replicate it with a league called the American League. Of course, the National League and the American League eventually merging to become modern Major League Baseball. But when the American League was founded, businessmen looked at St. Louis and said, it's a market where we think two teams could be there and we could compete with the Cardinals for the fans that go to watch them play in the National League. They'd recently vacated the Browns' name. There was a fan base that existed. And so they made a decision which may or may not have ruffled some feathers, no pun intended.
1: They kind of took the name from the... uh brown stockings that had just changed to the Cardinals. So it's a little bit of musical chairs with names. And uh, I, can't, I, I, I would think that the Cardinals were probably a little bit annoyed back then when as soon as they changed their name away from the brown stockings, the new upstart American League team in town just took the name. You know, So I don't know exactly if they were mad, but I, I, I got to think because if that happened today, we'd be kind of ticked.
0: Now what's maybe most ironic about all of this is that it's come full circle. The DeWitt family had a long history with the Browns here in St. Louis. Bill DeWitt Jr., in fact, actually was a bat boy at one point for the old St. Louis Browns. And his father, Bill DeWitt III's grandfather, was involved heavily with the business operations of the St. Louis Browns. So it would be natural, right, that there would be a lot of questions for Bill DeWitt III about why there are artifacts in the Cardinal Museum dealing with the 1800s Browns and the Browns that we know in the American League and how those two intertwine and how both of them also have his family involved.
1: I I get a little bit of interesting questions along those lines, particularly when I give tours of the museum, and I love doing that with friends or, or people coming in from out of town for the first time. And we show them the old cases in the museum that show the old brown stocking stuff from the late 1800s, and then of course you we have a number we have a case and some other memorabilia from the, the American League Browns team, and so you have to explain how that all how that all changed and morphed over the years. But um, yeah, the American League Browns are, are definitely a team that we want to keep that memory alive. Obviously, not just because um, you know we have a personal family connection with my grandfather having worked there for a number of years and general manager and owner. But because it's a great part of St. Louis history and legacy, and there's a Browns fan club that's still active, and they do a great job of um, you know, bringing former players in. Even to this day, there's a number of them still living that are uh, active participants and keeping that uh, story alive. And I think for as long as I can imagine, they will, um, they will still recall the, the great colorful stories of the American League Browns.
0: The Cardinals struggling on the field in the early part of the 1900s. Of course, that all changed in the 1920s. They win their first world championship in 1926. And Branch Rickey implements the farm system around that time, too. The Cardinals, the first team ever to have affiliate clubs at the major league level, something that revolutionized the game and something that we asked Bill DeWitt the third about.
1: Branch Rickey is really probably the, after Vonderai, the next, big figure in Cardinals history from an executive standpoint, because he recognized in the early 20s that in order to compete with the big markets, and it sounds familiar, it's still an issue today, um, you know, he had to be better at drafting and scouting and, and well, not draft, because there wasn't a draft. He had to be, he had to do a better job than, say, the Yankees and the Dodgers and these, these teams that had a lot of revenue at acquiring talent. And so, he essentially created the farm system. You know, he, you know, a lot of teams owned a couple of affiliates, but he owned he he'd built up an affiliate system to where he controlled players on, like, 20-plus teams. And uh, ultimately, it, it, it reverted back to fewer affiliations, but for a while there, he was reaping the benefits of that very wise strategic move. And, um, you know, it's kind of fun to think that my grandfather, who was his assistant and helped him build that farm system, was kind of part of that in in terms of the execution of it.
0: By the 1940s, the Cardinals really had the farm system running, as many as 30 affiliate teams and 600 players. That's what propelled them to so much winning through the 20s, 30s, and the 40s for that matter. And that winning has laid the foundation of a franchise that now is over a century old, a franchise which has a special connection with both the fan base and the entire region that it plays in. And no one maybe is more qualified to talk about that and give his thoughts on what it means to be a Cardinal than Bill DeWitt III. Certainly, in, in my mind, if he's not the most involved person in the franchise, he's got to be tied for first as far as interest and stock in what happens both on and off the field. So, with that in mind, I asked him, To him, what makes St. Louis, what makes the Cardinals so special?
1: Well, there's a number of reasons why the Cardinals are just a special franchise. And I think about it as a way of sort of narrowing down what makes it special relative to other clubs. First of all, there's only a handful of teams who have been in the same league and without moving cities since 1892, you know, prior to uh, uh, the 19th century. And, you know, you think about the Cardinals are one of those, the Cubs, um, the Pirates, the Reds, the Phillies. And and then it's sort of, that's about it. You know, maybe one or two are missing. Um, and then the American League was a little bit later, obviously, so you can certainly count teams like the Yankees and so forth where, um, you know, they've just been a fixture forever in, in a city. But, you know, 125 years continuously, every summer, it's the soundtrack of people's existence um, in the same city. you know that's just and, and then to have a winning tradition that spreads, if you look at the uh, banners over the scoreboard, in, in batches throughout the 20th century and beyond. And you've got championship banners in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s, 80s and then 2000s. Everybody living has had an experience in one of those eras, eras of a championship team. Um, so that's the second thing. The third thing would be uh, the great players that we've had and the fact that um, you know they, they've represented the community so well and that's no more exemplified by the greatest which is Stan Musial. And to have your greatest player also be somebody that won a championship or multiple championships uh, Stuck around in the community, raised a great family, and always gave back and was a super guy. Um, you know, how lucky are we? And, and additional figures, you know, all the guys in the red jackets that you see on open, even today, whether it's Lou Brock or Ozzie Smith or Red Shandings or Bob Gibson or uh, Bruce Souter um, who am I missing? I mean, just it goes on and on. And now more recently, the Cardinal Hall of Famers that we've, we've inducted recently And then even beyond that, you have great figures like Jack Buck who um, really helped create an identity for the fan base of Cardinals Nation by his kind of wonderful values, um, great sense of humor, um, preaching to fans that they should uh, cheer a play that an opponent makes that's spectacular, but obviously root for your your own team with, with great passion. So, you know, it's the The consistency, the longevity, the great players, the great moments, uh, and the great characters of Cardinals baseball. And I'll add one more footnote to this. Um, All of that would make for an incredible franchise, but then visually, we've got the best logo in all sports. And we've talked about uh, how that happened in the 20s. But uh, how great is it to be able to just wear stuff, a hat, a jersey, a T-shirt? of visually one of the great logos in all of sports. Um, It just helps embed it all, and that's why all our fans are wearing red and they're um, uh, all in on the Cardinals, uh, win or lose, uh, generationally speaking.
0: Now, if you're a baseball and a history nut like me, and you just can't get enough of where the franchise came from and what's tied up in its fabric, a new book that's out here recently is a can't miss, if that describes you. It's the St. Louis Cardinals Uniforms and Logos in Illustrated History. The book not only chronicles the logo, what's been across the front of the jersey, the colors from the Browns, Perfectos, and now the Cardinals years, but it also talks about the stories behind the uniform, the stories behind the people who went into making Cardinal Nation what it is. We asked Bill DeWitt third about that, too, something that, really makes him light up. He loves the history of the franchise.
1: Yeah, the new uh, logo and uniform book is really a passion of mine. And Gary Codner and his son Oliver did such a great job of um, not only presenting the history of the logo as it's evolved over 125 years, um, but telling the stories behind it and, and, and specific stories about the uniform itself. So they did a bunch of primary research to look at, um, for example, when we didn't have pictures of gears way back then, maybe there was a write-up in the paper, and so they looked at the old archives and saw that, you know, this year we're debuting new brown uniforms, or the collars are black, or the hats are different colors depending on the position that you play. I mean, all this crazy stuff that we would think is is nuts today. You know, they were experimenting with it, and the way that now seems so normal just to, you know, wear... Your your team logo, the whites at home, uh, the nickname on the road, or the city on the road, and the caps all the same color, and just it it seems like it a no brainer that it would evolve to that, but it really took a bunch of different turns. And this book shows how those things evolved, and um, it's really fun to see it because you could tell that the designers knew they were onto something cool because once the birds on the bat came on. It, it, it didn't leave. And there were a couple diversions, but it basically stayed on there and it started to morph and change, and the balance changed, and the birds changed tails up, tails down, you know, happy, sad, mean. Uh, but it just, you know, the shape of it seemed to work on the chest of a, uh, of a jersey. And um, I feel like we're, it's sort of like you've got the Mona Lisa, and, and to mess with that would really, you know, probably be the dumbest thing you could ever do.
0: I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Bill DeWitt III as much as I enjoyed the conversation with him. If you'd like to check out the story that came from this interview, the video story that is, you can check it out at cardinals.com video or also on the MLB at bat app. Just simply go to the videos section and type in Cardinals Insider. You'll also find full episodes of the show and all the other individual stories that we turn out under the Cardinals Insider brand. That's it for today's podcast. For Bill DeWitt III, I'm Brett McMillan. We'll talk to you next week. But until then, you've been listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast.
2: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best